Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. Happy New Year to you and as we ease ourselves into 2021, how are you feeling about it all? We've all just put a massive year to bed. I think it's fair to say that 2020 made many of us realise that we're more resilient than we perhaps thought. We've had to think of ways to diversify our businesses and create new revenue streams. And for the hospitality industry in particular, it's been a complete game changer. I know for sure that I will never again take an exceptional hospitality experience or the team that's working so hard to create that experience for granted. I'm so grateful to once again be able to enjoy fabulous food and drink in a wonderful and professional setting with the people I love to be with. But there seems to be a great sense of change on the horizon for all of us. What will 2021 bring? Will we recover from the battering and the bruises left by the pandemic? In particular for our hospitality industry, that's a big question. So I've taken a whip around New Zealand to talk to some of our independent operators to find out how they're feeling, what they've changed in their approach, if anything, and how they're feeling about their future. Let's start with a look back to March 2020 as we became aware that life as we knew it was about to change. Go hard and go early or risk losing tens of thousands of lives. The Prime Minister says today was the day to step up the nation's response to COVID-19 and to, st to stop it spreading. She said whilst New Zealand was some way behind other countries in terms of the number of cases, the country needed to act quickly to contain it. Liz Buttermore owns award-winning restaurant Arbor in Blenheim alongside chef Bradley Hornby. Liz and Brad were watching the global situation unfold. Yeah, a little bit nervous. We were watching it uh, move around the world, watching friends have their restaurants shut down or altered to takeaways or completely different styles. Uh, so we just started planning. Um, probably maybe even as early as early March, we would have started thinking about what if it came to New Zealand. We actually went to close the restaurant a little bit earlier than the government called for. We did it before they called for the first round of level two. Uh, we just felt it was getting too close. The borders had shut. Uh, we had guests that were waiting on COVID tests and cancelling their bookings last minute, which we felt was just getting too tight and too real. So we decided to move to Arbor at home. Uh, and then two days later, they announced level two, then level four anyway. Chef Lucas Parkinson was in a particularly tough situation in Wanaka, having literally risen from the ashes following a fire that destroyed his restaurant Ode. He and partner Larissa had spent over a year battling insurance, funding a rebuild, and finally, a much-anticipated reopening to find themselves facing closure all over again. Ah, uh, burnt. Burnt is probably the best word that would sum it up in, in one easy in one easy explanation, yeah, burnt, exhausted, um, just a bit hard done by, or maybe paying off karma, who knows. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, burnt. Yeah. We shut down over the day before Jacinda called lockdown because we could just see what was happening, watching uh, the industry collapse worldwide. Um, and it was scary having people coming in and, you know, some might cough and splutter and anxiety levels hit the roof. And, uh, 
I had a bit of a bit of a physical breakdown um, before service and when I jumped in the lake and that sorted me out, <laughs> came up and shut it down. Um, and that felt good, but yeah, I was completely pent up at that point. So we, I said to the team, look, I can pay you the COVID payment that we'll get and pass the whole thing on. And if you guys want to stay on and stick around, we're going to put the restaurant to sleep for, it looks like a few months. Um, and, 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 you know, everyone was keen. Um, we basically went home and it was a few weeks of organizing everything, you know, shutting a restaurant down and putting it to sleep is a, is a very big job. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of small moving parts. Um, and, and, and we got the cost down on that. Uh, but still we, we closed the high end restaurant overnight and, even though we were running things down and I told the team a week before, like, look, I reckon the whole world's going to go into lockdown. We need to, we, we need to sell as much as we can and don't restock on certain wines and, and just run set menus. And that helped a bit, but you still, you close with around $30,000 that just goes. Yeah. Um, and that's when I put the post saying, uh, this could be the end of Ode, we've got no way to pay our bills or rent. Originally from the UK, Alex Davies, chef and owner of Gatherings in Christchurch, was also watching what was happening at home and understandably nervous. Um, it was pretty scary, you know, like being from the UK originally, I, I, I was very much in, in tune with what was going on over there and seeing how it was impacting my family and friends over there. So I was aware of it coming and I, I t- we took it quite seriously very early on. Um, and we started kind of formulating ideas as to how we would approach it. Um, you know, we came up with concepts for, for what we would do. And then, um, but then all of a sudden we went into lockdown anyway. So we never really got to kind of put into practice what we were planning, but it gave us an idea of what was to come. Mm. That was quite yeah. heartbreaking watching that because I saw everybody spiral into, you know, working out how to keep their heads above water. And by, by the time everybody got their takeaway containers and all that sort of thing delivered, they were shut down. Yeah, yeah. It was it was crazy, you know, and, and we kind of – but it was also the fear. You know, I was grateful when it did stop because it was the unknown at that point and it was scary and I, I, felt, a, my, I felt very conscious of, you know, my livelihood is people coming together in a small space and I, I, felt, a, I felt a social conscience about – encouraging people to be coming into my space because I knew that it wasn't the safest at the time when it Mm. was such an unknown. It was almost a grateful thing when they did make the call to stop it because it was a lot of pressure at that time. Mm, Because gatherings is also such a small and intimate space, isn't it? We are, we're tiny. And, Mm. and, and so, you know, it was, there was almost the kind of grateful thing that it had happened and there was time to stop and, and take stock of what was actually going on. The situation here is moving at pace. And so must we. We have always said we would act early, decisively, and go hard. And we will. Non-essential businesses in New Zealand must now close. All bars, restaurants, cafes, cinemas, pools, museums, libraries, playgrounds, any other place where the public congregate must close their face-to-face function. Over the next 48 hours, those who provide, for instance, takeaway services 
must move to close their operations also. We will get through this together, but only if we stick together. So please be strong and be kind. It happened so fast. Tony Stewart had recently taken on the position of Food and Beverage Director at Amersfield in Arrowtown, QT. I don't think there was a panic because I think any good business you've got to adapt. Um, and we, we definitely, I think, went about it the right way by doing the takeaways. Um, so it was very important to us that we had to keep our brand uh, front and forward of our customer. Um, Can I ask, did you make money out of those takeaways, though, or were they more a thing of keeping people busy and keeping the staff? Yeah, we, diff we didn't go about it trying to make money. It was more about just offering something a little bit more special. Um, it was, you know, it was so different than what we would be accustomed to. Um, we just tried to, you know, give, give it what we thought was our quality mark, um, but in a, in a very comfortable manner. Um, so a real, a more of a family offering. I think historically, Amersfield is very much part of Queenstown uh, food and beverage. Um, and I think there's a lot of, lot of years before I came that we've built up a really good um, brand image um, and a lot of goodwill. So I think due to that, it's been very favourable to us. Mm. How did you feel, Tony, when it went to level four and it was like there was no choice then? It was close the doors, go home, be with your family? Um, yeah, look, personally, I, you know, I think everyone favoured that. I, I think that was very important for everyone to have that security. Um, very difficult as a business because of the uncertainty. It was really hard to get our head around how to operate um, ju just with the enormity of it. Um, and, and that uncertainty of, you know, what could be a week, what could be, shit, I don't know, six months. You know, to be in the hospo industry, you, you've got to be pretty dedicated and you're used to working pretty brutal hours. So to just suddenly go, right, stop, must have been quite a shock for a lot of people. Yeah, it was, but I don't know, hospitality in some respects deserves that. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of, good for everyone you know what I try to tell all of our staff is it gives us a chance firstly to relax and you know get some sleep and and all that kind of stuff but you know we looked at it also as a R&D period of time um, and we had to take some good from it and come back even stronger. Sean Golding owns and operates a number of hospitality businesses in Wellington, including Golding's Free Dive and Shepherd Restaurant, with recently opened Puff and Wine Bar operating within his latest endeavour, a boutique hotel called The Intrepid. I thought that it would be fine. I, because we're an island and we can shut our borders and things like that and we can insulate ourselves, I thought personally that my businesses will be resilient enough and to be able to... Um, to get through it, but I, yeah, I, as far as all that stuff, you start, it gets into your mind and then you start talking to other people and you, you can't help but get that pessimism starts to affect you mm. and get, um, yeah, you start to get down. And the, and the thing is though, you, you have to make sure that when you, you turn up with your staff and your other business partners that you have to be strong and um, be, you know, overtly optimistic. 
uh, almost like a pantomime in some instances where you just have to, you know, go, it'll be fine and we'll work it out. We're strong. We'll be good. And um, I did believe it when I said it, but you've got to have doubts, you know. As soon as Lahab went to level four, it's like, well, now, now it's out of our control. There's like, there's no purgatory here. And so the entire HOSPO world stopped, along with the rest of us. While from March 24 to April 27, the entire nation went into self-isolation. And then a return to level three brought with it a whole new set of challenges and opportunities. Alex Davies at gatherings in Christchurch decided within a new world of brown paper bags and takeaway food containers, he'd showcase a special experience. Well, immediately when we went into level three, we we put into practice our, our fish supper um, takeaway uh, meal, which um, which was incredibly successful. We offered one meal. Um, it was forty five dollars a person. We wanted to make it as easy and accessible as as, po as we could possible. So it fed kind of two to three people. It was a whole fish with bits and pieces around it, and um, we set it up so people could collect around the back of the restaurant. We made it as beautiful as we could. We put plants out there. We put a big projector of a fish onto the wall in the alleyway. We tried to give people an experience because that's what restaurants also are, is going out for an experience. So whilst they were just coming to pick up a paper bag full of food, we wanted to give them something. And so we created this beautiful little space where there was no, not necessarily much of an interaction but with us, but people felt something when they were there. And that, were, that was really, really well received. It was far busier than I could have ever imagined and, and, and it really gave me incentive to, to keep doing what we're doing and, and it made us feel really connected to our community which was felt really special. Wow I didn't know that I knew that you were doing the fish suppers and I loved absolutely loved what you did there but I didn't know that you were doing all of that with the experience that's amazing Alex. Yeah well, you know people were pulling up in their cars and running out but you know we still wanted to give them something like you know because that's all part of going out it's not just the food it's everything around that so we wanted to give a little bit of theatre and give people that feeling of being somewhere special even though even if it were just you know a 20 second interaction of grabbing something mm. we wanted them to step into a space that was a little bit of escapism giving what had happened and given the circumstances and that connection to the people that are supplying the food yeah that's it that's it yeah oh, I love that I love that has that situation caused you to think differently about your business a hundred percent yeah we've we've decided to, to change the restaurant um, pretty dramatically and um, we're taking furniture out, so it's an even smaller restaurant now. Um, but I'm preferring that. I think it's a lot nicer as a result. We have a lot more time with people. Um, we, we've we made the restaurant, I think it's as a result of ex my experience at home with my family um, and realising how I like to eat and what I like to eat. So we're, we're creating much more of a, of a kind of social kind of menu where, where we just, we send food out kind of banquet style and, and people are sharing and yeah, it's definitely come from that fish supper concept where we were giving people this bag full of food to share together and we've brought that into the restaurant and now we present the food to share together and all eat together because I think that was a big realisation I had during that, that period mm. as to what, what the important part of dining actually was. I'm interested to know actually, um, especially with you, how 
did it feel when, you know, when it finally went to level four and as you say, you were relieved because, you know, the decision was taken away from you and it was, okay, we're closed, we have to go home. How yeah. did that feel um, as someone who has been so committed to what you do and to the restaurant and to the business and to being a chef? How did that feel to suddenly not have that? You know, I, I cook for a living and all of a sudden I was cooking three times a day at home, which I've never done before. Mm. And so I was putting into practice all these things that I do every day for everyone else, but doing it for myself and my family. And suddenly it was so, the realization of what actually is this that I'm doing? I'm this this is I'm feeding people. This isn't some abstract concept that that I put into a restaurant. This is actually a, this is a very very important thing that I have. And so putting into practice that into my my real life because that's all I had to do big realization of what it was I was doing I, I it was yeah do you think it's kind of made us not just the chef but the consumer sort of pair back a little bit and go back to instincts and the things that really make us feel good about food I mean you know you saw all these people suddenly reconnecting in the kitchen and we couldn't wait when the restaurants opened again to get back out because we didn't want to have to do the dishes and cook for ourselves anymore <laughs> but yeah on the other hand I see so much more comfort and less trying to impress almost? I don't know. What is it? Do you, do you see any of that? Yeah, it's kind of going back to the kind of core of to what it is to cook for people. And to, to cook for people is caring for people and, it, and, and it's providing comfort and, and, and joy and togetherness. And yeah, I think definitely people are kind of being drawn back to that because we had time to realise the significance of eating together because like I so, say, yeah, we had that period where that's basically all we could do. Mm. Was, was cook for each other at home because we had all this time on our hands. And, and, and so, yeah, I think that a lot of people have, have had that kind of realisation, that epiphany. What, what is eating and, and, you know, what is the importance of it? And, and that comfort is a big, big part of that because I think a lot of people did find comfort through food, through that period. It was something that we could do because there wasn't a lot we could do. Liz and Brad at Arbour in Blenheim took a different approach to the standard takeaway. In a way, Arbor at Home is a dinner party kit. Uh, so you get photos and you get plating guides, you get warming guides, and essentially all of the hard work's done, all of the prep's done, everything's ready right to the point of you putting it on the plate. So you get to, um, I guess, have all that fun part, all that excitement that people get into with MasterChef without any of the work behind it. And everything looks as pretty as a restaurant. Like when you're at home, that's the hardest part. You've worked all day on a dinner party, and you can't quite get it right on the plate. So this was um, what that was about. That's my thing, my, my dinner parties. I, I'm, I'm a keen cook and I'm a good cook, but they all still look like um, an 80s dinner party, a fondue party or something. You know, it just <laughs> looks dreadful on the plate. It's just yeah, because not... I had the same problem. I spend all day cooking at home and then it doesn't quite look the same. It's um, Bradley that, you know, has that really beautiful creative eye and that's what people look for at home. Uh, we also wanted to stay out of our friends' um way with regards to takeaways as well you know we've got we're such a small town and we all really really like each other and we didn't want to jump in and um you know perhaps dilute their market at the same time so this is a way to stay in our lane and still create something new and exciting what changes have you made to your business post covid what we've done is we've actually gone smaller uh we've reduced our seating and our staffing we didn't remove any staff. They just naturally um, finished after summer. 
and we haven't replaced them. And we're keeping everything really, really tight so that we can watch every single expense because I've always, always said that a business will lose money faster in a bad year than it makes in a good year. So it's really important right now to stay on control, in control of every cent and just be able to be agile and quick and nimble. Has it um, changed Brad's approach to the menu at all? No, the approach to the menu is still the same. What it probably has done is changed his approach to how much he holds in stock. Uh, he's really, really brilliant at getting us to Saturday night and getting us down to the last few items in the chiller. And the idea is not to be caught with a chiller full of food again. It was really nice. We are able to send all the staff home into level four with a beautiful well, two beautiful banana boxes each full of produce and take some to the landlords as well. Uh, but, yeah, the idea now is to get ourselves as close to empty on a Saturday night as possible. And that's a skill, yeah. a real skill. A real skill, mm. yeah. He's brilliant at it. Do you think that this has changed the average person's approach to food? Everybody just turned to comfort food. It was like everyone was craving yeah. comfort food. He has got really comforting elements in there. So maybe every third dish has a real nostalgic moment or that sort of moment that just makes you feel like everything's okay again. And then our service style is quite different. We don't stand there with waiters cloths. My fine dining background doesn't appear inside Arbor. It's, it's more relaxed. It's more elegant. It's we know what you want. We know to bring you a teaspoon for your dessert. We know you like your cutlery facing this way on the table, or this is the wine you want to have at this point. Um, it's sort of, I guess people are having that feeling of coming home to mum or coming home to nana. And I think that's where our service really works nicely. It's a fine dining with Brad's food, but a real hug from nana. For Lucas Parkinson at Ode in Wanaka, a takeaway option was not so straightforward. When I wanted to come back out, I thought, I don't know if I can actually do this. I don't know if I have the funds. I don't know if there's the market for it even. Uh, and we couldn't come straight out when lockdown finished because it's shoulder season here. Um, and, and shoulder season's hard as it is, let alone the whole COVID thing. So we had to wait for the next wave, so to say, which was winter. Um, and I went in, uh, went into Ode and, and, and just, stood there thinking about it all and thought well we need to raise some funds and at the very least I need to pay back my suppliers even if O never opens again so I, uh, <laughs> I, I I was in our backyard in Hawaii and we had a couple of crates of, of apples there they just come off a tree in our backyard and I said oh I'll make some apple crumbles and, and I'll do a little post online and maybe we'll sell a few hundred and That'll be that. I'll be able to pay back my suppliers. Uh, I put it out there, you know, help us reopen, help us pay our suppliers back. Apple crumble. Everyone saw the post. Um, and I bought a few takeaway containers, or 500 to be exact. That's what they come in. Uh, and went to sleep and woke up. And uh, the thing had gone crazy. It had got on BuzzFeed. It had been shared by everyone. It was... It was yeah, well, I actually woke up to my manager at the time, Katie, frantically trying to call me. I think there was about 19 missed calls. Um, <laughs> and, and I picked up the phone, what, what's going on? She's like, 
what do I do? What do I do? It just won't stop. The, 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 we're up to 850, 857, eight, <laughs> we're, we're eight, 860 in it. Just How the hell flying. are we going to make all of this apple crumble? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I said, look, we're going to have to email, email everyone after number 500 and say, uh, <laughs> no we're going to have to drop it off the next weekend. Um uh, so just keep it rolling and keep it rolling and I order more containers. That became its own fiasco. Um, but <laughs> uh, quickly realized we didn't have enough apples. So I done another post uh, just asking locals, hey, do you have any apples in your backyard? Can anyone donate apples uh, towards the crumble? This is Central Otago and it was apple season. Um, and it, it just, it was a storm. It was a flurry. It was crazy we had locals calling and email and facebook and text and any way they could i think i saw a post where you said they were um like people were driving past the restaurant and yelling go the crumble yeah <laughs> yes and kids out of their car and everyone you ran into it was it was crazy so um local what a community donated. show of support though huh? you should be really proud of that oh it was it was amazing amazing community spirit yeah they are. Uh, they donated three tons, three tons of apples, and we made just over two tons of crumble. Two thousand one hundred ninety crumbles we sold or paid for in total. So while Lucas and Team Ode were reconnecting with their local community through the power of the apple crumble, finding opportunities for a business that was predominantly driven by alcohol was not such a great experience for Sean Golding and his team in Wellington. When it's level two and three, it's actually awful. It's it's reacting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you you've got basically a business you have to make prosperous, people you have to employ, you've got a public you have to protect as well, but you've also got a part of the public that don't care and a part of public that do and will knock on you. So you become this kind of like this has been the hardest thing for me has been the police, social police for the government, is to tell people how to behave and uh, and then get told that we're overreacting and then have other people mm-hmm. hassle us for not doing enough. And it's that's been pretty pretty hard to to deal with watching the prime minister, bless her, you know, doing an impossible job. Uh, but no, and I only saw once the public getting told off. You know, because there is a kindness thing and that's nice, but it just it would have been nice for some stage for like the public to kind of be like, hey, you need to help these businesses out, not by just going there, but by obeying the rules. Mm. That would help us the most, mm. in fact, out of anything. But someone walks in, they ignore the sign, have you checked in? No, they get told by someone, oh, this is bloody stupid. You know, I'll go and sit over, you can't go and sit over there, oh, I'm just leaving then. Yeah, you well, guys... that, I mean, that was the very reason that uh, uh, quite a few businesses just didn't open up again, isn't it? Because yeah. it was just too hard. Yeah, with Goldings, it just got a bit hard for the staff. They're mm. pretty tough, but they're just like, we just, we're just over this. Mm. And um, so we shut down for a couple of Mondays and Tuesdays in a row, just to have a bit of a bit of a break from it. Mm. Um, what did you change, Sean? Did, did did you change anything to your approach to your businesses um, once you came out of level four and back into business? Not really. Um, the restaurant was fine. Um, the wine bar was, I mean, Hannah's done a great job of, Hannah Wells done a great job of running that. Um, that's 
well, it's her bar, so she, she's, she knows what she wants on it, and it's, she's done a great job. And the Puffin has a much better layout, but Golding's is a really narrow bar. It mm. thrives on its energy, and it's kind of like the, not, a, not a race to drink, but that, you know, that excitement and that rush, having it full. And when you take all that out, and I have to remove half the chairs, you know, your revenue's down by about 60 to 65%. Your staff have to work harder for less revenue mm. because they're not used to table service. What we have to do, we have to basically change the way, I don't know, we dealt with each other's, um, I guess, anger and frustration at the situation in the public. You get, yeah, telling people to F off was, you know, pretty close to on the edge of my tongue many times. I can understand, you know? yeah. yeah. But uh, hospitality, not hostility, you know. Tony Stewart and the team at Amersfield found that at Level 2, national travellers were filling seats that had previously been filled by international travellers. Well, it's interesting, you know, Queenstown, I think, was, um, you know, I think we probably got a little bit lazy um, as, as restaurants because um, the, the international guests provide, provided a safety net for us um, and we were always busy by default. Um, I think we had to, you know, we obviously had to evaluate um, the potential of, well, uh, you know, to, to look at our new customer base. Um, but it also gave us great realisation of what we, who, how we're perceived um, and, uh, and, and what we do. And we, we really came out of, we've come out of it really favourably. Um, we're, we're just as strong as we were without an international customer, um, which, you know, which has been amazing. So by that, do you mean that it actually made you reevaluate the value of your local customer? Well, you, you should never, ever take for granted your local customer. Um, and we definitely tried, we tried to make some adaption to our offering to cater more to them. Um, but what we found, we were just like the, 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 the national guest or the New Zealander has picked up everything that the overseas guest was to us, if that makes sense. So we, we, we haven't become this busy and probably sadly in some respects that the spontaneity of the, the, the local, um, we haven't been able to achieve we, we haven't been able to offer as much as we had hoped to the local because the national, the Aucklander or the people from Christchurch has picked up everything that the overseas guest Have filled, had. That, filled that void, yeah. Yes, they filled the void. So, you know, we're still booked a month in advance. The, the New Zealander has been so amazing in their support mm that we're still booked out a month in advance. Lucas and Team Ode were also experiencing a surge of support in Wanaka. We were full. We were steaming. We were making money. It was going really, really well. Um, and then lockdown two got called out of nowhere. We will be asking Aucklanders to take swift action with us. Facilities, bars, restaurants and businesses must close by midday tomorrow. A resurgence plan was actioned after four members of one South Auckland family tested positive for COVID-19. 
At 12 noon on August 12, Auckland moved to alert level 3, while the rest of New Zealand moved to level 2. And what we didn't quite catch on to until it happened was that most of our bookings were uh, Aucklanders or people from the North Island. Right. Um, and uh, overnight, as fast as the crumbles came in, the booking cancellations done the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just starting August, which is our peak season when we were, you know, that's when you rake in the money and save for the shoulder season. Yeah. Um, and the cal- we, we were staring down the barrel of $80,000 in cancellations. Mm. Um, and we kept it open, and but we ran about half capacity for the whole peak. Um, and then, you know, it starts dropping in September. Uh, and by November, I, I gave this, I told the staff a few weeks before anyone, and obviously the public knew. Um, and, and that's when I made the call that we were going backwards, we were losing money. Um, and a gut wrenching and hard decision to make, but really, at the end of the day, you have no choice, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's this like I could have limped, but the stress was killing me. Mm. The stress of watching the money flow back out uh, and that hit of cancellations. That was my my mental and physical health started started wavering. Lucas was not alone. By September, the New Zealand Restaurant Association had reported over 70 business closures within its members. I asked Marissa Bidois from the association to look into her crystal ball. It really has been an up and down. It's been a roller coaster for the industry. Um, And in terms of confidence, um, there's definitely a little bit more positivity coming through, which is really encouraging um, to see. I had a really... um, some great chats with some members in the Hawke's Bay, um, the Waikato, and also um, the Bay of Plenty area. They've they've sort of let me know that things are looking a, a bit better in those regions. Um, it certainly isn't the way across the country. So there's definitely, uh, you know, it's it's a real mixed bag of, of feedback from people at the moment. It depends where you are in the country, whether you're in a CBD, um, you know, or what sort of region you're in. So I'd say that there is quiet optimism that's probably the best way to describe it people want to to sort of move through this and um to feel confident that we will continue to you know sort of see things improve but there still is you know a little bit of worry about the future as well mm. it does seem though doesn't it that the um the cbds are the the ones that are that are hurting the most with a number of factors playing into that obviously people working from home people not um, you know, going out for lunch and all of that sort of thing and buying mm. their coffees. But also, I mean, Auckland, my goodness, with the amount of openings in that um, new precinct and everything that have all sort of had to happen at once after COVID, it's quite quite painful. Absolutely. And that's really where we're sort of hearing, I guess, the most pain from at the moment are those CBD, um, the city centres and, you know, especially Auckland City as well because, we have a lot of construction going on there. There's a lot of development. There's COVID-related issues going on, like you said, um, the changing workforce. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that are kind of working together to create a really difficult trading space. It's really, really hard to call it, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I think 
I have a lot of faith in our sector and I can't imagine, you know, our, our cities or our, you know, smaller regions across the country not having restaurants or cafes um, or some form of hospitality business in them. So I know that we will survive and we will, we will be okay. It changes every day. Um, but I think that we will permanently for the next 12 months, at least have some changes brought on by COVID, you mm. know, and whether that is in a sort of a, a looming recession coming up or, or whether we're actually sort of going in and out of um, different level changes. I do think that, you know, sort of what's been happening over the last few months will probably be in our, in our future as well, at least for the, the short term. It wasn't all doom and gloom. For Odie Monica, their announcement of closure turned up a silver lining. So when I done the, the post saying that we're going to close, I added in there that if we find a partner or investors, then there is hope for Ode. I just can't carry this financial burden on my shoulders. Uh, obviously, like a really crap situation with a glimmer of hope is is a great story. We put that out there and, and a huge response. The news, you guys, yeah. <laughs> too many to list. Um, and we got a good response. I, I, I really wanted help in this. Mm. I wanted a partner. More importantly than an investor, I wanted a partner, someone I could share this with in a business sense. So you could have some emotional and some business support. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in the end, we had three really strong choices. Um, and the choice I went with was, was with a person. She is from here and wants to move back and expand on it as well. It's left you battered and bruised, hasn't it? Yeah. 2021, I'm feeling like it'll be a better trading year than 2020 for New Zealand. Obviously not the world. America's seen 60% Mm. permanent closure and and job losses and hospitality have gone over 10 million. It's no, I'm just, I feel pain for, I don't, I think it's not even just what I've experienced personally. It's, feeling pain for our entire industry oh God, yes. mm. as a world I feel that um but in New Zealand I think we're gonna we're gonna trade okay uh, yeah there will be belt tightening and it is gonna be scary but if we're smart um we'll either get out and come back in when it's the right time or or we'll gear it so you can you can run it on a skeleton team We've never we've been through financial crises before, but we haven't seen a pandemic in a hundred years. And the in the restaurant industry in New Zealand hundred years ago was non-existent. When you came back, were you were you looking at your food differently, or is everything yeah. pretty much the same? It has made me view not only my own food, but the whole industry's food different, and and what is capable and what is not, what is working, what isn't. We've simplified our food and we've geared it more towards what is what is a what is a South Island Kiwi person gonna like. Um, but now it's not about what I like. It's about what will keep us creatively happy and what will keep the customers coming in and will keep them happy and when they look at our menu are intrigued to try it. So so is that a bit of a compromise for you? Um yeah. Yeah, but I've done this really smart thing. 
Um, <laughs> if I, I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. I I didn't create the smart thing, um, but I have it. I have an amazing head chef, Jack, at the moment. It's been with me for over a year, and he's, he's born amazing. and bred. He he's he's born and bred uh, Arrowtown, South Island, fourth generation, deep south. And he just knows the taste around here so well. And he knows what people are going to gravitate towards you and what their local crowd is going to like. So I said, look, show me what you've got. And we've done it. And there's some dishes on there that are still mine. But for for a lot of it, you know, he's learned a lot from me. So it's very similar styles, but with a slightly different taste and a different gearing towards what the locals here are going to be into. Yeah. And man. Smart. It is, it is really working. We had um, a lot of people in now that have just said, before they said that was the best dining experience in my life, but now there's a single word that's changed. They said, that's the best food I've had in my life. Meanwhile in Christchurch, for Alex Davies, at gatherings he's looking to the future with a fresh perspective. I think they've changed forever. I think that it's a very different world and I think it will continue to kind of shape itself and evolve. Um, it's great where we're at at the moment, and but you know we you can't take anything for granted because you don't know what's going to happen next week. So I, I think that that's kind of given like a fresh perspective on on the way that we kind of are living and the way we're doing things, and we just kind of sit and watch and wait and just be here and and you know do what we do and, and make people as happy as we can through through what we do. And it's an unknown, isn't it? We don't know. For Liz Buttermore and Bradley Hornby, their Blenheim restaurant Arba has returned to the great relief of food-loving locals and they've turned their attention to supporting young members of their community. One thing we're quite worried about is how it's going to affect our young teenagers and how, uh, you know, during that development stage and, um, you know, how it's going to impact their life. So we are looking at doing a fundraiser with a few parents, you know, to look at some counselling and mentorship for that age group that's Again, we're, we're old, we've got our habits, you know, we've just got a couple more now because of COVID, but that's a really delicate age to be going through something like this. And what next? How do you see things a year on from now? Will it be life as we know it? I think we're all going to be a little more reserved for a while. I think we're going to be looking for safer ways to socialise. You know, there's still going to be that group that wants to go out and party and, and, and we do need our bars and our clubs to be able to stay open and operate and earn a living uh, but I do think we're all going to be thinking twice about holding onto that rail on the bus or um, sharing that seat. We're all going to be a little bit more socially awkward, more socially awkward than we are as hospital people. Hotelier and restaurateur Sean Golding is feeling optimistic in Wellington. Yeah, I think next year's, it's like probably everyone's just because you want it to be, I actually think next year's going to be pretty good. I, I suspect that we'll get past this elimination obsession that we're in at the moment. We I don't think you can eliminate it, and I wish that word was taken out of the lexicon at the moment. Um, learning to manage it and live with it. I can see that we could go out of, like, go back into level one, level two next year um, if we needed to. Um, but I'm optimistic about next year. I really am. I I, I actually don't care. I, do, I don't care what, what – I'll just deal with it. I do, it's like, I'll just make it work mm. somehow. Um, it won't stop me opening new businesses and these plans, you know, there's there's always things that we have planned to do. And I've got at least three or four new projects that need to get, they just need to be done. Yeah. So, um, and I'll find a way to make them work and, and put them in. That's why I do it, you know. You know, don't just open a bar to have a bar. You open bars and restaurants to 
to find out what they like and to enjoy them. And I just want to keep doing that. Yeah. So no matter what happens next year, unless of course they shut the whole thing down, which I don't think will ever happen, um, then I'll just keep going and have to adapt. And on that note, it's a good time to check back in with Marissa Bidois at the New Zealand Restaurant Association on the findings of their end of year report for the industry. So basically, um, our report really shows a clear picture of um, a year of two halves. So basically, prior to March, um, our sector, the hospitality industry was, you know, in for um, basically another strong trading year. So from 2019 to March 2020, uh, we were looking like sitting at around a 3% sales increase year on year from the previous trading year. Um, and then you, you suddenly hit March and, well, it all goes uh, downhill, really. So when we look at the second quarter of 2020, uh, there was around about a 40% drop uh, compared to the same period last year. Um, so, yeah, just really two different, completely different uh, pictures painted. So 40% drop there, but the feeling um, that I had on the ground was that there was quite a spurt for regional growth beyond that? Yeah, that's the interesting thing as well. So when we look at um, that second quarter is diabolical for everyone, but then when we look at the third quarter, what we see is um, a bit of change. So we've we've seen some increase in sales um, in some of some of various regions around the country, say Northland was up 17%, Marlborough up 18, um, Kaikoura 19% increase on the previous year. Um, yeah, so we definitely see some strong trading in that third quarter. Um, there are still the outliers there in the third quarter, with Auckland being down 14% and Queenstown down a whopping 28%. Mm, okay, so yeah. the regional sales is because of the love your backyard, everybody get it, obviously. Basically, the feedback we've had from members is, um, yeah, supporting supporting your local businesses. And it has been absolutely um, incredible, the stories that we've heard of locals supporting their favorite cafes and restaurants. The other thing that members have said to us, like say in the Northland um, and other parts of the country is that with a lot of people being able to work remotely, um, some people have you know, decided to step out of Auckland and set up their offices you know, in different parts of the country as well. That's some of the feedback that we've had um, from members. Interesting. So then that uh, is building that economy at that mm. local level a little bit more, but obviously yeah. taking it out of the main towns, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, how do you think COVID's impacted us as restaurant customers? Look, I think that as customers, um, COVID has... Um, according to our survey, it's it's made customers very aware of their, even more aware of their surroundings, I suppose, when they're dining out. And, you know, cleanliness has always been important to customers, yeah. but it's, it's certainly ranked as um, some of the more important things that people are looking for now when they go into a business. They want to see that things are um, clean, tidy, that there's um, sort of systems in place uh, so people feel comfortable um, going out. What are the opportunities there for restaurants then going forward? Obviously, there's been some key challenges this year um, for for our sector, and things have happened that will change our industry forever, I think. What we've seen, though, are a lot of businesses being able to adapt and, and create uh, new arms to their current businesses, and um, new sort of ventures have been born, essentially. 
what's coming through to us at the association at the moment is that there are those that are doing really well and are very optimistic, but there are still those that are struggling with the effects of, you know, the lockdown in the second quarter and the mm. third quarter. Yeah, I spoke to a member just the other day in, in Queenstown and his business was still down 89%. Um, and this is a well-known business, very respectable and, and well-regarded um, establishment as well. So, you know, the closed borders have certainly still had huge impacts um, on some of the regions. Mm. Yeah. Have you seen much sort of change in, um, in approach to menus? Yeah, 100%. I think that's um, something that's really come through to us just in conversations to members and also through our research as well, is um, a lot of people have gone through and refined their menus, they've condensed them, they've uh, streamlined their processes as well as their, their menus, and ensuring that they have, uh, and this has always been a trend for our, our industry, particularly over the last sort of, you know, five, six years, um, but making sure that they are working really closely with their local suppliers as well. Mm. And mm. perhaps we also, as customers, need to start thinking about being prepared to take smaller menus as the norm and not expect to have massive menus with lots of things to choose from because it's just not its not realistic and it's not sustainable. Yeah, it really isn't. It really isn't. You know, when you see those big, long menus, there is, you know, there's a lot of... Um, stored items and, and whatnot. And there really has been more of a move, I think, towards the smaller condensed menus that with using sort of the fresh local ingredients as well. Mm. And from what we hear from members, customers seem to be, you know, very open to this as well mm. and um, really like to see their local suppliers being, you know, shown on the menu as well. That's, that's some of the feedback we've had, which is great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's just a, a little bit of a change of mindset for everybody, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And these sorts of things as well, you know, with our skill shortages for the sector as well, you know, recruitment has been challenging, um, finding the right team and even a team uh, to get through the busier months of summer. Um, for many of our members, we've heard that this has been quite challenging. Mm. Um, and so some of our businesses are heading into the summer period and um, still operating with reduced hours as well because they haven't been able to find um enough people to help them get through the busy time. So back in uh, your September report, I think it was around 70 closures that you reported from members. Uh, yeah, Has, that's has right. that increased very much? It has increased. We don't have our final numbers yet um, from Statistics New Zealand. Unfortunately, we won't have those final numbers um, until next year. However, the closure rates have certain, certainly slowed down, um, but but I think that we are still going to see, you know, more businesses closing. Um, don't get me wrong, there's definitely optimism out there, and, um, you know, it's great, incredibly wonderful to see sort of Kiwis getting out there and supporting their local businesses. Um, but there still are some challenges to come for the sector. Oh, well, realistically... Uh, it's Christmas and um, summer and everybody's doing their thing and getting out and supporting everybody. Mm. But as we move into those colder months and people hunker down again, I think uh, that's where it's going to be quite telling, huh? Yeah, we, we're we very much um, having our eyes on that period of the year. We know that it's going to be tough for many businesses. Mm. So we're not out of the woods yet. Not but, yet. But, you know, with challenge comes opportunity and there's always opportunity, huh? 
You're right. Uh, as we talked about, they're really focusing on running um, leaner businesses, more efficient operations, and these things will help um, businesses get through those, you know, potentially challenging uh, winter months. So all in all, we're in a much better place than our hospitality colleagues in many other countries, with opportunities to re-examine the way we do things. But it ain't over yet. Hopefully, 2021 will see us re-evaluate, fine-tune and be ready to take the global stage with our phenomenal New Zealand food story once our borders open and all of those currently watching us from afar will make a beeline for us to discover our unique New Zealand flavour for themselves. I think Tony Stewart summed it up perfectly over at Amersfield. Life goes on. You know, we just have to be a little bit smarter, a little bit more... Uh, to understanding that things have changed and they've probably changed forever or, or, or in our generation anyway. It's just a different way of doing things now. But yeah, this, is, this gives you a really good opportunity to see what's important to you. Um, and too many people have just been doing, just doing it for the wrong reasons, just holding on. Um, and I think people will come out of this a bit smarter, a little bit more understanding that they need balance in life um, and life goes on. Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. A huge thanks to all of my guests, and my thanks to you for listening. It's a great thing to know that you are. I wish you every success in 2021 and a year filled with fabulous New Zealand flavour. Speaking of which, head over to New Zealand Flavour on Instagram to follow the evolving dishes of our fabulous New Zealand chefs. It's a great place to get a complete snapshot of the innovation happening in professional kitchens around the country. Head to cuisine.co.nz for simply the best of the New Zealand food and drink story and a multitude of recipes to keep you inspired in your own kitchen. You can follow us on social at Cuisine Magazine and you can follow me at Kelly Brett. Just make sure you spell Kelly with an I. And that's it for this episode of Cuisine Bites. I'll catch you back here soon. And in New Zealand, running a restaurant is a fickle thing. It is a bloody hard thing, and and the tax systems are not geared towards our industry. And we have no representation in Parliament for our industry either, which makes it all the more harder to get our message through when when things are not working, things are geared wrong. Um, You can't win a race if you top out at third gear. But I still think we need a a Ministry of... Food. We need someone that that represents all of the stakeholders, all of the restaurant oh. owners, and the producers and the growers, rather than you know departments that are all pointing the other way, going that's not my department. You know, one hundred percent. And for the billions of dollars of revenue we bring in, and the billions of taxes we pay every year to government as a collective, as an industry, uh, and to see that gambling has three ministers and we've got none. A voice and a set of ears. A voice to raise all of the the issues and concerns and to celebrate the, the wins and everything else, but also a set of ears to listen because there are so many stakeholders and I think that's probably why it's so difficult. The, you know, there's just a massive amount of stakeholders and everybody's got a different agenda, but there has to be a way to sort all of that out. I agree. I think a minister in parliament is a starting point. Mm, mm. Once we've got a voice, then we can be heard. But right now, um, you know, we, we're yelling from the bleachers, so to say. <laughs> not getting to where we need to just yet. But you know what, Lucas, if we keep talking about it and if we keep putting it out there and if we keep telling the stories, hopefully eventually someone will listen. Hey. Exactly. Yes, I believe that too. <laughs>